This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show. Jeff Sharon here along with Eric Lopez. We also got Andrew Glukov with us and Bryson Turner hanging out with us today on a, uh, what has turned out to be a busy uh, and getting busier by the minute week uh, as we go through. Eric, we got softball to talk about, some results that are in. That is correct. Uh, Season underway for softball. A good start to the weekend. Great uh, atmosphere. Plus, we got the other sport in the diamond getting starting this weekend, Mr. Sharon. Yep, we got baseball. We got uh, we uh, hear from uh, Greg Lovelady a little bit later in the show. Our preseason interview with him, uh, and then also some record smashing going on in uh, UCF women's golf. The Orlando Guardians are also getting started. We got some NFL player uh, UCF NFL players getting ready to start in the XFL this coming week. But uh, uh, we start with our first two topics. Obviously, OU and Texas are going to be going to the uh, are going to be leaving a year early. We're going to touch on that in a little bit, but we wanted to start with basketball. And uh, gentlemen, it looks like the ship is writing itself after that dismal seven or five game losing streak. Uh, two straight wins. Obviously, we talked about um, you know we had the UCF had the win at Wichita State, first win in school history at Wichita. By the way. Um, Five point game, uh, five point win at Coke Arena. Um, eat that, Coke brothers. And then, uh, in addition to that, they come back and for the space game block party Saturday, and in the evening, UCF shoots the lights out against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, hitting a school record seventeen three point shots en route to a forty four point win over Tulsa. And now here's the situation for UCF men's basketball. 15 and 9, back to 500 in conference at 6 and 6. Uh, in the standings, they are currently sixth. About a ga- they are a game and a half, though, out of the top four, which means that's that you finish in the top four, you get that first round by. Now, here's where the part starts getting critical. Now, we didn't now we talked about injuries. We didn't see Jalen Young the other day against Tulsa. He had a cast on his hand. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. We did. I did see uh, Michael Durr no longer had the wrap on his hand. So now, you know, we're all on high alert to see if Michael Durr returns. But that means that these next uh, two games, well, really the rest of these games and the rest of the remaining five, six games in the regular season are tremendous, starting with at Memphis Thursday, February uh, on Thursday at 8 p.m. in FedEx Forum. That game's on ESPN Plus and then back home for Cincinnati uh, on Sunday. So, um, Elo, I want to start with you. You know, my sense heading into this, this is the, this is the biggest game right now uh, ahead of them because when we're looking at, you know, the opportunities that UCF has to sort of boost themselves in the net, this, as of right now, is their last Quadrant 1 game. They have two more Quadrant 2 games, home for Cincy at Temple. Uh, USF, Tulsa, East Carolina are all Quad 4 games. You can't drop any of those. But Memphis, your last quad one opportunity, they're at 41 in the net. UCF currently at at 56. Uh, by the way, they jumped some 15 spots um, in the last week um, and are trying to once again knock on the door of that, NC, of, of that mark around 47, 48 in the net to try and get back into the hunt. 
for a possible at-large bid. Um, what's the plan right now? You know, and what did we see from the last two games that has that is looks to have sort of steadied things prior to this big matchup at Memphis? Well, I think defensively, first of all, they have uh, start played better defense, given up less than seventy points. We've talked about that. They've given up over seventy points during that losing streak. Uh, that's been part of it. The other part of it is they've shot the ball really well from the perimeter and the three-point line. They set the school where, I mean, they got 12 threes at Wichita State, which and then at school records, uh, 17 against uh, Tulsa, where they went 17 for 36. I think Taylor Hendricks has really started to be more aggressive on the offensive end, too. I think that's helped as a go-to. Uh, so I think it's a combination of those things, and, and guys just kind of getting a little bit better and it sets them up here for a very important week you're at memphis and you host cincinnati these are two marquee games you win both of these games you might get yourself maybe back in the bubble if you split uh the two games i think you put yourself in a really good spot to be in the nit uh, deal so these are this is an important week this is an important week uh, if they, you know, from that standpoint of postseason basketball you're right i think that's and that's a credit to them with what they've done it's funny you know, the, when you have a losing streak, you kind of lose perspective of how you know this season is going. Uh, this team is fifteen and nine. I just want to let that people know. I think right, fifteen and nine. All right? Can you verify that, Jeff? Can you guys verify that we're actually fifteen and nine and we're not like two and fifteen, like some people think uh, uh, on social media? Sorry, sorry. At, at this moment, moment uh, in uh, time, time that I'm actually going to get to get two wins, wins and nine losses. And Jeff sounds like an alien. Yeah, he just disappeared. <laughs> Uh, well, it was, it was Star Wars night, Drew, on basketball oh, on Saturday. So well, maybe that's, I mean, Jeff's way, that's Jeff's way of impersonating Saturday night was the Star Wars. Maybe he's trying to be R2-T2 or some sort of Star Wars really? character. With have the you ever seen Star Wars? I have. We had a, there was like a there was a lightsaber fight at halftime. Like, name a, a different school that would do that. There uh, was a lightsaber fight in Jeff's microphone. That, Let me tell you one. something. Is it, it's back now, right? Yeah. So, by the way, that was wild. That was abs- that was an absolutely wild, wild night for that space game. And, and 17 threes, Bryson, you were there. We can't expect that again the rest of the night, right? I mean, it, it's, I mean, a school record actually beat the school record from um, my junior year, actually. Senior night against Campbell, 2004, uh, when uh, UCF beat Campbell by 50. By the way, UCF assistant Robbie Lang was the head coach of Campbell at the time. I remember that game. I actually have video of it posted on the internet somewhere. But um, that was the record. Now we have a new record, and seemingly everybody was knocking in threes. Tierno Sila actually banked one in. P.J. Edwards was hitting threes. Ithiel Horton hit six of them. But we can't expect that to be the norm now, can we? Well, I mean, well, you mentioned that Campbell 2004 game. They tied that mark back in, during the double overtime thriller in the Memphis game. Now, obviously, that was in double overtime, so you have to to adjust your expectations a little bit for that. But they still made 16 threes in, during the course of that game to tie that record. I think the big two, the big two things in these previous two games is that Johnny Dawkins mentioned this team was getting much more comfortable in their roles without Michael Durr. And I, I think now that they've had a couple of games to really adjust to not having Michael Durr on the court, they were able to figure out other ways to y- y- use their strengths 
without having a you know a seven foot big man like him in the middle of like Durr in the middle of the court in the Wichita State game that was the they had their most steals of the season in that one game so there's some turnovers for you there and then of course against Tulsa they were just kept shooting the ball from beyond the arc I honestly I think this team was is really sneaky talented at what they're able to do from be from beyond the arc I mean I was I was sitting there with uh, Reese Holiday, who's who's the uh, sports copy editor for NSM today, UCF's journalism student, and we were go- just flabbergasted, like because they were already at double-digit threes in the first half, and we were like, "Oh, oh my gosh, are they going to break the record before <laughs> halftime?" And then I remember you tweeting about this, Jeff. They ran out of T-shirts to they, throw out. Yeah. To, to throw we, out we were having we were having a lot of fun down on on the uh, over over by the. Uh, I was having a lot of fun watching the marketing folks kind of scramble right now because we were like, I had to announce that we were that we ran out of t-shirts and the students started booing because they throw t-shirts out after every three. And then the other part that was hilarious was um, they they were, uh, you know, they hit, not only did we uh, run out of threes, I forget what the other part of it was, but the, it, there were... It, it, when you really think about it, 51, oh, oh yeah, here's the other part that I thought was good. And, and you know, the three-pointers are one thing, but I thought that, you know, Drew, you were right about the defense. Um, these last two games, UCF is back to holding opponents under 60 points a game, which, you know, prior to that five-game losing streak, that's what they were holding opponents to 60 or less. It's 70 um, is the magic number. Yeah, on, yeah, on average, they're holding opponents to 60. Um, but set, but you're right. 70 is the magic number. Um, I mean, and that's down from 83, a game that they were giving up during that five game losing streak. So, you know, my question to you now is, can this continue against, um, a Memphis team that, you know, right now is tied for second in the conference at nine and three with Tulane. They're 19 and six. They haven't lost, um, uh, or, or excuse me, they had, they've had only one since the 107-104 double overtime loss at UCF back on the 11th. They've only lost once to Tulane, and that was a one-point game in overtime. And they're coming off a win, uh, 86-77 win at home against Temple. UCF struggles against Memphis in Memphis are well-documented, um, but it, is this game gettable? Uh, well, I mean, any game's gettable at this point. But, but, you know, as you said, you know, UCF on the road is, is, is not very good. And they've, they've lost the teams below them. They've lost, you know, Tulane. They lost the USF. Yeah. They lost to Cincinnati. And that was during that five-game losing streak, you know. Uh, Three they, and four away from home. And they, Three and four away from home this year. They squeezed that double OT win against Memphis. Uh, but that was at home. Now they got to mm-hmm. go on the road. Uh, that's probably the toughest place to play in the conference. That's the most uh, historically worst. Yeah. Worst place. Yeah, UCF it's, ever played. It's one once there once. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, you know, if they get lucky, you know, those threes, you know, are falling, but you know, you live by the three, you die by the three. Uh, you're not going to get what happened against Tulsa to repeat itself to that, to that magnitude. You're not, uh, you're going to have to find other ways to win. You're going to have to have uh, a lockdown defense, uh, you know, UCF has one win in regulation all year against a team that scored 70 or more. Then you have the double OT thriller 
that they won against Memphis. Uh, so the, the key is keep it under 70 and you got yourself a shot. If they, if, if Memphis can score, UCF's not going to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. So this is such a critical two game stretch. And then if you, you know, if, if you can, if they can get, here's the thing. Okay. Like you mentioned, Eric, 15 and nine, right? Wow, really? I kind of yeah. sort of sweat. Well, <laughs> I mean, the next is a losing season here. The, the, well, 20, you 20 wins heading into the conference tournament is not out of reach, I think. Ooh, well, let's break it's it down. Stretch. It's a stretch. It, so you're at Memphis, you host Cincinnati. I think you gotta if go you five and one. Can you win five of your last six? Yeah, well, you got to go five and one. Well, it's, yeah. I think splitting Memphis, Cincinnati, you got to win South Florida. Mm-hmm. I really get nervous when I say this, but you got to win at Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's a little tricky. All right. We are, yeah. I know. We've seen you do this. The, 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 the fly in the ointment is that game at Temple, too. Temple's been, yeah, a tough place. And then that's not an East easy Carolina. place to play. You've got to win East Carolina. I think yeah. to me, to, to be a postseason team, you've got to win East Carolina. You've got to win Tulsa. You've got to win South Florida. That's three games. Then mm-hmm. you, and then if you can go, honestly, if you go two and one between Memphis, Cincinnati, and Temple, that would put you, what, five and two stretch there that gets you to 20 and 11. Yeah, no, 20 wins is possible. Maybe win a game or two in the conference tournament. That might be good enough to maybe get you the NIT. If you if you sweep this Memphis Cincinnati and you beat, you know, if you go six and one, now, if you go like six and one or something like that, now you're in the conversation on the bubble going to the conference tournament. So I think that's As what it currently stands, Eric. You talk about NIT. According to the mm-hmm. resource nexus.com's NIT bracketology. That's right. Uh February 12th was the last time they ran it. UCF is currently slated as the last three seed of the NIT. If if Wait. as if yep. it stands currently. You know, at you know, at what sixty five or sorry, fifty six. The the list Dexia kicking in at fifty six in the net. You know, you look at the teams around UCF in the net. Uh, you know, Charleston at fifty five. They're twenty four and three. But this is where the schedule matters and why UCF playing a you know a non conference schedule with a few good programs really helps. Even though UCF's one and five in quadrant one games, the fact that they played that many actually helps. Charleston, mm. one spot above them, has one Q1 game, and they're 24 and three, one spot up. And then Ohio State above them has a losing record. They're 11 and 14, and they're 54th <laughs> because they're two and nine in Q1 games. Come so, on. That's uh, ridiculous. Get up. They should not be in postseason. No. Uh, and, and you know what? If Even if they crawled up higher, I, I cannot see the selection committee taking a team that close to 500 or below into the postseason there's there's no way i mean they, three games under forks, 500 yes pitchforks would be sharpened the torches would be lit and they would storm the uh selection committee if a team with a losing record like ohio state somehow manages to get in as an at-large because of their strength of schedule well wow. true out here setting up the drama but yeah no look i mean you're right to your point there's other <laughs> nit sites uh d ratings has them going to seton hall as a four five which jeff has already proclaimed he's going to fly out there to cover the game you know sacrifice for us at the banneret which we appreciate uh see his other but what's your ties with seton hall so shaheen holloway was the head coach first of all i have a couple cousins who went to seton hall and uh and shaheen holloway who is the, who played at seton hall was the head coach at st peter's last year both my parents went to St. Peter's. So, can he get you tickets? 
Probably not. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then there's another NIT site that has us hosting Southern Miss. So, yeah, look, they're in the mix for postseason basketball, but they got to finish strong. Uh, look, this is a big game for Memphis, too. Let's not lose fact. Memphis is kind of one of the last four teams in, depending which bracketologist you like to look at. So they need this game just as much. So uh, that's going to be a big game. This is a big game. It's the last trip for UCF to Memphis. Uh, you know, we're going to go to a lot of tough places. Last train to Memphis. Yeah, and then Cincinnati's played well this year. Wes Miller's done a nice job there. They're trying to get in the mix for postseason basketball. Noon tip at home. We need a good crowd there. So it's a big, good stretch here. Uh, and then, obviously, as you mentioned, Jeff, when do they get Michael Durr? That remains to be seen. If they can get yeah. him back, that could help. Otherwise, I'll be interested in the Memphis game. If Johnny baited Penny Hardaway into going small, does he try to do that again, or does Penny say, no, we're going to go bigger and try to – that will be interesting – what the adjustments are made for both coaches in this matchup. Yeah. As it currently stands in the NIT bracketology, you have three American teams in the, in the NIT as it currently stands. UCF at a three, Cincinnati as a five, and Tulane as a seven. Wait, no faith in Tulane. They're second in the conference, too. So, all right. Well, don't, don't let the conference record right. get in the way here. Because I mean, UCF has the second, has, they're, they're third in, in the net, but they're, Outside the top, they're what sixth in the conference standings. So yeah. I mean, don't let that. Tulane, Tulane, by the way, we mentioned they're tied for second with um, Memphis, but they're eighty sixth in the net. So, I mean, that gives you kind of an idea of the discrepancy between what we see in the conference standings and what we see in the net. But anyway, uh, so we will be monitoring obviously that game against Memphis. So huge. Uh, ESPN Plus, eight p.m. Thursday night, followed by the home game. Sunday at noon against Cincinnati. That game will be on ESPNU. So, um, big one there, too. Big, 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 big week for UCF men's um, basketball. Real quick on the women. They're at 11-11, and 2-8 and eight in the conference, but they stopped the bleeding uh, against Cincinnati on Wednesday on the road um, in a 60-57 victory. But then back to Memphis – and they came up short against the Tigers by just two points, 50 to 48. Actually played a very, very good game defensively. Uh, game went to overtime, uh, and they just couldn't pull it out there. Uh, you know, and this is a team that um, they held Memphis in the first quarter. I've never seen this to three for 23 from the field in the first quarter alone. Um, and UCF jumped out to a lead. Memphis came back. Um, Jumped out to you know, jumped out to a lead again. A, a small, it, it was a tight second half the whole way. Um, but you know, here they are now at eleven and eleven, two and eight. Um, Maya Burns, by the way, led UCF in scores. She had a double double, twelve and thirteen. Um, and Memphis did a pretty good job against Destiny Thomas. Uh, fouled her out at, at, of the game, actually seven points and eleven uh, rebounds, nine of them defensively. But as we look at, real quick, Eric at UCF women's basketball. Um, I think the goal right here is, you know, see, can you get can you get above 500 by the end of the year? And, you know, they have South Florida coming up for the space oh. team on Wednesday. That's going to be rough. Um, South Eastern, Florida team that's coming off their first conference loss at home to Houston. So they are going to be locked and low. Yeah, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, face the South Florida team yeah. coming off a loss right now. <laughs> yeah, so that won't be pretty. Uh, that's going to be rough. And, uh, you know, the Memphis game, they got a tough call against them. There was a, a charge called against them in regulation. It was a clear flop. 
unfortunately, uh, they didn't get the call. That's something they'll probably get used to when they get to the Big 12. So, But uh, we'll see. USF, that's going to be a tough, t- a tall order there. They'll have at least the Citronaut jerseys out there. So for all you Citronaut fans, you got that going for you. Love it. We're all in on the Canaveral Blue. And then East Carolina on uh, Saturday as well. So um, <clears throat> so we'll have to see. You know, can, can they? I, I think if you're if you're Satya Messer, it's like, hey, let's just get splits at the very least. At the very least, let's just get, get splits the rest of the way. You can finish the regular season at 500, and then you have a little something to work with. You know, if you do, you get a couple wins against some teams that maybe you shouldn't. But you know, ECU that's going to be a tough one too because they're at eight and four in the conference in third place, seven and eight, seventeen and eight overall. But um, but hey, look, you know, just keep keep swimming if they if, as they say in. Uh, uh, was it finding finding Nemo? Right, right, Drew. You're a dad. Just yes. keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. All right. Bit we want to talk about here before we take a break and go to our baseball preview. Uh, so, Eric, you were right. You were right. Whoa, whoa, I whoa, was whoa, really... whoa. Is anyone actually recording this? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're recording. <laughs> Eric was right. Document this, Drew. Eric Document. was right. Listen, I got you. Listen, you got to you got a hand. You got to hand out the credit where credit is due. Eric was right about Texas and Oklahoma, who it is official now they will leave the Big 12 after the 2023-2024 year and uh, head to the SEC. One year early, they came to an apparent agreement um, with uh, uh, the rest of the Big 12. And really the holdout here, like we were talking about earlier, was Fox. Um, You know, there was a uh idea that you know th- there was the, it basically you know the the rest of the schools had said okay this you know we're cool with this but um ne- but you know fox wanted to be made whole so um drew has a couple details on it but i got to give credit to eric he was right he said that they'll figure out a way to do it and it's going to cost oklahoma and texas some 100 million dollars in total to leave a year early yeah. That's a lot of scratch, man. Well, Unfortunately, UCF back. will not get a dime of that one, Drew. Uh, well, I, here, here's here's what's going to end up happening. So as as history shows, when there's a buyout involved, it gets negotiated down around two-thirds or so. Uh, this one was just a little bit below that uh, as far as the negotiated amount. Uh, that money's going to be used – in two ways. Part of it's going to go to Fox. They're going to make up the financial losses they're going to get from losing Texas and Oklahoma a year early. Out of there were also some schedule, some schedule adjustments mm-hmm. that were made too, right? Yeah, and the main one was there's a series between Texas and Michigan. Uh, first game was supposed to be at Texas in 2024 and then at Michigan in 27. They've flipped it. So now it's going to be a Fox game in 2024 at Michigan. And that was part of the negotiations is, was to flip the schedule uh, so that Fox could get the game that year and make up for some of the, the losses that they'll take from not having Texas next season. Uh, and, and you know what? That actually, okay. I like the outside the box thinking. It was, a, it, was, it was an opportunity that they didn't have to really change anything. Uh, they just had to, to make sure that both schools could handle – the, the flipping of when the dollars are coming in from that home game. Mm-hmm. So glad that part worked out because we, Eric and I, we, we've been talking about this for a while and we all knew that Fox was going to be the only 
The last roadblock. <clears throat> roadblock. I, everyone else wanted this done for a long time. It was yeah. always Fox. And understandably so. Uh, you know, I don't blame Fox at all. They're not the bad guys here. They have a business to protect. Sure. And, and they're losing Texas and Oklahoma, which, which even if they're not a great team, they get eyeballs. Big brands. Eyeballs oh, yeah. equals yeah. dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't replicate that. So they're, they're, you know, they found a way to move on. So probably like maybe 20 mil or so is probably going to end up going to Fox to, to their, their coffers as part of a makeup. And then the rest of it, it goes to the conference and that money is going to be used to offset the monies that the new four are getting when they come in. Cause what people don't realize is the new four UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, the money they're getting coming in and why it's structured is it was being paid out out of the shares the remaining eight were getting. It wasn't like the TV people were, were prorated. No, they actually cut out of their media dollars to make up for that. So this hmm. the remaining money is going to go to the remaining eight, make up for those losses, and everyone's going to be whole. Everyone's going to be happy. Uh, you know, the new four join. They get what's already been promised to them, and the remaining eight no longer have to take a bath to make it happen. I got to get credit to Brett Yormark here, by the way. Yeah. You know, he, he, he squeezed Texas and Oklahoma for everything that they were worth. He made his TV partners happy. And now reports are he is switching his attention to the possibility of expanding the Big 12 even further. Now, that's always been kind of on the back burner. But uh, we're seeing some reports out of the Pac-12 that their television deal, as Eric Lopez also correctly predicted, is looking like an absolute dumpster fire. So badly, in fact, that the that the Pac-12 had to release a statement on social media <laughs> just yesterday on Wednesday, saying, you know, basically, if if you could see a textual representation of the meme of the apartment on fire and the little dog saying, "This is fine," right? That's pretty much exactly what the Pac-12 was saying. What is going? What is going on here on the latest with this, Eric Lopez? And and when we might we start hearing about some actual rumblings? We've heard about Gonzaga as a non-football member before. There have been rumblings about Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, the four corner schools as we call them, possibly you know bailing out of the Pac-12 uh, and and making their way over to the Big 12. Where are we? And what do you think is the most likely scenario? Well, I think we're all waiting on the Pac-12 deal, uh, which I know this is a shock, but there's not a lot of interest for carrying Oregon State, Washington State football. I mean, I'm stunned by that. Um, So where do they end up and how much money? And it's not probably going to match up close to the Big 12. Now, apparently they've been talking to SMU, which has really ticked off the Arizona schools from what I've heard, uh, because they don't want SMU in there. They're like, why are we bothering with SMU? I think the Gonzaga thing is also a key wild card in this. Uh, Gonzaga has been talking to the Big 12. Gonzaga has also talked to the Big East. They've talked to the Mountain West. Where does Gonzaga end up? It seems like Gonzaga wants to get out of the West Coast Conference, go to a stronger basketball league. So well, let's say, <laughs> there's a problem here, though. There's go a ahead. problem here. Negotiations haven't been for all sports. Correct. They've right. been for basketball. And Correct. that's it. And Correct. that's sticking point. And rightfully so. Right. But let's say Gonzaga makes the move for hoops, Big 12 or whatever. Well, a school like Arizona is going to keep an eye on that because Arizona is a basketball school. So I, I think that situation will play itself out maybe towards the summer, maybe in that June range. 
I think it's something to monitor. I think that where everybody's waiting to see what does the Pac-12 come up with as far as the television deal, and then there's going to be a rippling effect from that. I think the Gonzaga thing will be interesting. I, I I would maybe think we'll hear something about Gonzaga maybe after the college basketball season in May or June. So I think those are the two next pieces to look at. Uh, Drew has done a good job breaking down the financial impact of this Big 12 deal move agreement. This is a great move for everybody. I think it's a great move. Remember, 2024 is the first season where the, the playoff expands. I think everybody wants to be where they want it to be. That's the year USC and UCLA will also be in the Big 10. Uh, so I think it's a good move for everybody. I think it's a good sign, too, that Fox and ESPN are working well together because I think they're going to end up working together for the playoffs. So I think this is a good. This is all good for college athletics and college football in particular. I'll just keep it in college football because there's other sports that don't really like all this realignment. Uh, for UCF, I think from an on-the-field standpoint, I think this is really good news because you have two less opponents to go over and compete against in your own conference. Uh, I'm not going to break them down sport by sport, but there are some sports, for example, where Oklahoma dominates, like in softball, Texas, and volleyball. That's going to help softball and volleyball now a year shorter. Uh, other sports. The only negative, if you want to say of a negative, is football now is probably going to is going to lose out uh, hosting Texas, which has been widely speculated was going to be on the UCF home date uh, in Orlando. My suggest, and you know that would you know with Arch Manning and stuff, that's a big deal, but. I don't think it's as huge of a deal as some of the, you know, in the big picture overall, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that or not, Drew. Oh, I won't lose an ounce of sleep over that. Uh, Let's be honest. Uh, There was a lot of moving parts here, a lot of moving parts. And and Brett Yarmark flat out said, look, I've got three phases here. Yeah. Take care of the media deal. Take care of Oklahoma, Texas. Done. Expand. Uh, It was, you know. Steel underwear, question mark, make profit. You know, the old, <laughs> the old underwear gnomes from South Park. Uh, you know, so I, th- everything is really, I mean, Brett Yarmark has done a fantastic job. Everything has been falling into place in a good way. Uh, not as, as you said, this helps the television partners work well. Uh, they're going to be partners with the Big 12. You know, Yarmark has, has really locked in good relations with, with these two conferences after uh, Bob Bowlesby napalmed his relationship with ESPN. Uh, you know, maybe maybe he was playing chess and he knew he had to go out and blaze a glory and, and so that the rest of the Are you saying this was a good cop, bad cop situation? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, Bob Bowlesby and Brett Yormark? I'm just throwing something on the wall. <laughs> but, but, the, but the truth is uh, Brett Yormark has really proven to be uh, adept at what he needs to do to run a conference. Uh, you're seeing a lot of solidarity within the remaining schools. Uh, nego- you know, the negotiations, everyone seems to be working very amicably towards uh, a good solution. And this could come, you know, pay dividends down the road when it comes to other negotiations with, with stuff between conferences. You know, right. uh, perhaps the Big 12 wants a basketball challenge. Well, you know, He's obviously proven to be a good guy to work with. I'm going to want to work with Brett Yormark. Uh, you have the Big Ten. It's about to have a new commissioner named. Uh, you know, you want to, you know, have a good reputation going in to develop a relationship. Uh, but to what Eric said, you know, the Pac-12's television deal is is exploding in a bad way. Uh, we're hearing numbers in the 20s. Right. Uh, Washington cannot operate with that low of amount. We, it's already well documented. They're going to have to start cutting things. Uh, this may be the opportunity that if Fox is willing to play ball, because I know there's a pro rata 
agreement for Power 5 schools on the ESPN side. It's already built in. It's not built in on Fox. So if Fox is willing to play ball, they may be able to poach some schools from the from the Pac-12 if this keeps you know drawing out. They want to wait and see a final figure uh, before any move is made. But as you know, schools are always talking to each other. They're always talking to conferences. Uh, you know, there's even talks that that you know a school like Tulane is reaching out. Hey, what do you think? That's smart. You always talk. Yeah. To conferences just to see what's going on with this. Well, hey, make them say no, right? <laughs> make, make them say no because um, they're not going to call you. They can't call you. You've got to right. call them. If they call you, that's a lawsuit. Uh, you, you, and that's why when when Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC, they had to make it very clear they called the conference. But that's because these schools are always talking to other. Yeah. You they call, yeah, the they call a conference with the SEC, and the SEC is like, oh, we had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's all I sorts mean, of back-channel yeah. stuff. I mean, UCF talks to the SEC. I mean, it's it's normal. You're always talking to each other. What? Well, speaking of the SEC, one other thing to watch now with the SEC making this move and starting you know, in 2024 is, do they go to nine conference games? And if they do, there's going to be a rippling effect because we're going to have a lot of SEC schools dropping non-conference games especially Florida, which could impact UCF in 2024 because Florida in the 2024 non-conference schedule has FSU on the road. They have Miami, Sanford, and UCF. One of those is going to get dropped. It will not be FSU, and it's not going to be Sanford. So it's probably going to be either Miami or UCF, and I think that that, that could affect them. Down the road, though, instead of canceling it, you think they reschedule? They could reschedule. They could reschedule in the future schedule. So, you know, yeah. this 24 one's kind of way in front of those other two. Maybe it goes back to a 27 or a 28, uh, but not buy it out outright. Uh, you know, can they, can they work it out? Cause UCF still needs games. They right. probably don't want the buyout. And, and Florida has that future schedule room where you can kick the can and no one gets hurt. Last well, word, Eric, um, June 30th is the day that we're looking at, right? I think for any last, text, last yeah. year that was when the UCLA USC mm-hmm. news dropped, and it kind of surprised everybody. So yep. you're thinking right around that June 29, yes. June 30th, yes. keep your keep your notifications Correct. locked and, in, and right? Don't get suckered in by the college football media that tells you that oh they're not their negotiations are over. They're sta- they're they're all getting used. They're getting played. Just listen to us. Me and Drew will keep you updated. We're the only one. Me, us two, and Ross Dellinger are the only three people that don't get <laughs> fall for this bait. That's, okay, so so Eric Lopez Elo, Stat Boy Drew, Ross Dellinger as well on uh, on Twitter. Those are the people who you set the notification belts to on um, what's going on. Oh, by the way, Drew, real quick, twenty million dollars surplus according to the Orlando Sentinel, Jason Beatty for UCF Athletics. I don't know about you, but that tells me that UCF did a very good job of coming out of the pandemic in in solid financial shape and that was one of the big our big concerns a couple years ago how did this happen well you got a 20 million dollar surplus i mean it it helps that you know everyone that's when the big 12 invite came in and all those donations started coming in uh that helps plus they haven't upped their their expenditures really yet so it was a combination of, of of smart cost cutting during the pandemic and the the positive fallout of the conference alignment change uh, news. Uh, but you know what? People are online like, oh, what do we do with the money? Oh, you know what you do with the money? You keep it internal. 
you pay your staff, your SIDs, your support staff. Mm -hmm. They work on the guys that you never hear from because UCF needs to keep those all-stars. Your media team, you know, those guys, uh, those are the one, those are the unsung heroes of the department. They need to get a boost before, oh, let's spend it on coaches or facilities. Uh-uh-uh. You take care of your people first. 100%. You know, and, and I think that, you know, Eric, what do you see on that one? Because, you know, I, it, it, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I'm sure every coach has their shopping list, right? When the money starts pouring in. Um, but I think, you know, it, one of the things that we've always talked about that I think UCF has been really smart about over the years is establishing the infrastructure. You know, they didn't do what USF did and waited for the perfect opportunity to build a stadium. They went ahead and built the stadium and tried to, and have gone about the process of improving it. And obviously that's one of the things that's, that they're going to have to work on down the road. But, you know, that's, at least you have some, some you know, some cash in the coffers as you begin to make this big move. Well, it's a positive. And as you head to the Big 12, that hopefully will grow even more. And and look, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, you got NIL that you're dealing with. I mean, you know, you know they've started to kind of, you know, you dabble in that. You dabble in, you know, facilities, stuff to be made, renovations and stadiums for different sports. Uh, we'll get into that about that later with softball in particular and baseball for that matter. So there's Some a lot of stuff, stuff that you certainly need to upgrade. Like, I mean, I'm not sure, but I'm sure every conference has certain benchmarks that you have to have for certain for certain sports. Well, again, I'm not a, I'm not familiar with exactly what those might be between the American and the Big 12, but well, he, those well, do here, exist. Here's the difference. Big 12 actually has fans in, in all sports, unlike the American, where they don't, you know, some schools don't. Well, USF has no fans in a lot of sports. I think Drew can agree. Right, Drew? I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've, I mean you know, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't, you know, they, they have a few softball fans and women's They have a fans lot of football you. fans. They always seem to wear red at their home games. Now. Yeah, in the stands there. Well, that's not the case in the Big 12. Uh, they just come out casually with, throwing grenades in the room and leaving. I'm just saying. <laughs> But I, I do think the Big 12, every they, they support a lot of the sports. So I think expanding of seats in, in certain st- sports is going to be a key factor, and among other things, video, you know, stuff like that. But it's a great sign, and it's good credit, credit to Terry and the, everybody that, you know, and fans. I mean, in other sports, they're starting to come out. Volleyball had a great year of attendance. I know that's not accounting this number, but last year, volleyball, uh, baseball, and softball drew well. Football's drawing well, draws well. So uh, all that stuff kind of helps. Now, I'm a pump the brakes kind of guy when it comes to expansion of facilities from an attendance standpoint. You want to build demand before you want to expand. Yeah. Ooh, well, if you tune nice in later, Drew. there, build demand before you expand. Nice, Drew. Get that on a, put that in a frame and put that put in that a, on a t-shirt. Like, this room right now. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt right now. Never expand because there's no demand. <laughs> build demand before you expand. All right. Well, uh, it's going to be a fun next uh, next couple months, you know, leading up to that June 30th. Sort of keep your eye out for what happens there. So, um, yeah, it's funny how everything is just sort of coming together in a way that, you know, it's, it, it's like really starting to feel real now. And these next four months, man. What you need to do is go to the Big 12 website on July 1st. And everything will become very real. Yeah, ain't that the truth? All right, when we come back, let's talk a little UCF baseball. Greg Lovelady and his team are getting ready to uh, start their 2023 season. We will hear from him, and then later on in the show, we got some records to talk about that are getting smashed left and right. 
Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here along with Eric Lopez. It is baseball season this week. Last week we did softball, previewed that. They went off to a 3-1 start. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this week UCF baseball gets underway. Eric Lopez in. Uh, and you guys, uh, you know, you, Eric, and uh, Bryson had a chance to talk to Greg Lovelady. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there for our annual meetup with Greg, but it was good to see him nonetheless. And, uh, you know, UCF picked third in the conference this year, uh, even though that poll was two months ago. <laughs> but um, they're ready to go here now. They are. It's uh, And I know Greg's very confident. A lot of new faces, pretty much a 50-50 split of new faces versus returners. Uh, for a team that de- dealt with too many injuries last year and yet found a way to win 35 games and finish near the top of the American Conference. Me and Bryce had a chance recently to talk to Coach Lovelady about this upcoming season, the new faces, including some uh, some guy named Plumley. Plumley, you've heard of him, Jeff, right? Plumley, John Rice? Rings a bell, rings a bell. Yeah, what's his role going to be with baseball? We talked about that as well as the schedule and much more. Here now, Greg Lovelady. On the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And joining us now, the head coach of the UCF baseball program, getting set for opening nights against Siena. Great tradition. Uh, he's always been kind to us and uh, every year to talk some baseball, among other things. I speak of Greg Lovelady, who joins us. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing well. How you guys doing? Appreciate y'all having me. Doing good. Let's talk about it. Uh, how has this fall and gone as you get set down for the season? You got about eh, just about give and take a half the team back from a team that 135 games considering a ton of adversity with the injuries including on the pitching staff how how is this year's team kind of outlook looking i mean i think really really good i'm excited about this group um you know we just have a great mix of age and and experience um mixed with talent and some big transfers and also mixed with some younger guys that um, you know either were on the team last year and just expected to have bigger roles or, or freshmen. Um, so I mean I think it's a great mix. I mean I think we're we're a lot deeper, obviously, just with the um, one, just because I think we set it up better, uh, just to avoid hoping to have you know a kind of a repeat of uh, last year's injuries, but also you know we're just healthy right now. Um, and, you know, this time last year, we had really already started that kind of injury bug and had already lost like four or five guys for the season, just either late in the fall or, or in January. Um, and, um, you know, at this point, we're, we're, we're fairly healthy. We're in a good spot, but we have the depth to to do that. And again, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but I mean, I'm really proud of last year's team for winning 35 games and coming in second place in conference and really doing that with, you know, five or six of your best players missing at least half the year or, or the whole year. And so, um, you know, I think that it it showed our guys, you know, like how to handle adversity, uh, which I think is going to help this year. Um, at the same time, though, I think the depth and the experience that a lot of guys got last year, you know, puts us in a good spot. And now we just got to go out and show everybody uh, what we're made of. Well, let's talk a little bit of some of your positions. Let's start with the outfield. It's going to be strange not to have uh, Jeffrey Pena there over overseeing things at center field, uh, but you do bring back Lex Butter- uh, Butterker. Uh, just talk about your outfield uh, outlook there as well. <clears throat> some new faces there in the in the mix. Yeah, obviously having Lex back, you know, playing almost every day as a freshman last year and having the success he has 
had like that just gives us somebody that again has that experience um and obviously a year older and, and understanding you know kind of the what the grind is like and what to expect will be it will be a huge help for us um you know we, we got we brought in Corey Robinson who is a transfer from the University of Florida a local kid in DeLand um you know they, they had some good playing time there last year but we're just looking for a, a different experience and you know he kind of had our best fall um offensively and so had a lot of success in the fall uh very similar to Jeffrey in terms of um skill set um you know um one of if not the fastest kid on our team um has the ability to to play center field can play right uh but but has some power um ability to to change the game with his legs and and bunt um so that's going to be obviously an opportunity um Matt Cedarberg transferred in from um, Southern Miss. He was a local junior college kid at College of Central Florida from Florida um, that has has had a had a good fall for us, a good early season that, you know, has an opportunity to play. Brady Shannon, you know, is really a, a special freshman that has the ability to really be um, a really special player here. Uh, just the power, um, the size, a three port sports star in, in high school. Um and hit some monster home runs in the fall. Uh, so I think he has the ability to to really kind of be a, a, a future middle of the order guy for us. And then you obviously have John Rice uh, Plumley. Um, so uh, very similar to his football pedigree, like just as able to a super athlete can change the game with his legs and, you know, even in a short amount of time, being able to practice with us, just dropping some bump base hits and running balls down in the outfield. So obviously he, you know, he is so athletic that it's amazing how quickly the, the, the swing and just the baseball legs underneath him are coming back so fast. Um, not playing obviously all fall and, and really not playing, much last spring just because of he he was ineligible due to the transfer rule. So, um, you know, he, his leadership and the things that he brings is special. So um, obviously he's a, he's another guy that I, I expect to get a ton of playing time, if not starting for us uh, on opening day. So, you know, those guys really have, have done a great job and just kind of excited to see, you know, how they all, how they all kind of play when the, when the lights come on. Do you have a comparison of, JRP is a baseball player, a guy, I mean, which is such a unique situation because you don't have him in the fall. You have mm -hmm. him. He's great speed, which fits your team identity because you love to be aggressive on the base pads. So I would imagine he's a big part of that too. And that nice fit. Do you have a comp of somebody you've coached similar to him? Um, I mean, he is similar to Jeffrey, um, just more physical than Jeffrey. Um, so, I mean, I think he has a little bit more natural power um, than Jeffrey does, but from a defensive and speed and, um, and, and the things that he's trying to do, like, I, I think they're very similar. So, um, you know, you had Trent Taylor and Jeffrey Pena in the outfield last year that just really shrunk the amount of acreage in the outfield. That was, you know, that balls were able to fall. And I think if, if you have, uh, Corey and, and, and JRP in the lineup, like that's very similar in terms of those two guys, um, being able to, you know, they're, they're going to be two of not only the fastest guys on our team but they might be two of the fastest guys in our conference and maybe two of the fastest guys in the country um in terms of, of college baseball so it definitely whether they're starting or whether they're playing there late in the game it definitely shrinks the field and, and makes us a much better defensive outfield 
Coach, you, you're you bringing back an infield this year where just brimming, at least as far as returners go, and then, of course, the the freshmen that I've seen at the fall have seen to have really gotten off to a strong footing. What can you say about this year's infield, and how do you think you're going to able to sift through to see who ends up getting start, you know, starting where? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really talented group, um, and it's good to have, you know, some age um, and experience on there, and it's an interesting age and experience, though, because it's guys that, you know, a couple guys that have really, really been banged up in their career here. You know, Andrew Brait is always been one of the best defenders on our team and just had some really bad luck. You know, he, um, gets hit in the face and breaks his, his uh, orbital bone uh, two years ago. Um, you know, he started half the games as a true freshman at short, breaks his orbital bone in year two. And then and then uh, last fall, you know, um, just swinging pops his shoulder out and needs to have have labrum surgery and, and fixes fixes left shoulder non-throwing shoulder uh, and misses most of the year last year so to have him back I mean just a plus defender can play any position on the infield but somebody that really understands the pace of the game uh, and understands like what the infield position needs and offensively you know he's always done well when he has gotten an opportunity to play whether it was as a freshman whether it was in the fall um you know we had really high hopes for him two years ago before he got hit in the face um you know and then obviously last year just just the same thing kind of high hopes in the fall and he was having a great fall and, and then obviously um gets hurt so he's just a guy that can really really give us the 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 leadership and just of how to prepare how to go about your business um, Nick Romano at first base, having him back um, is obviously huge. I mean, he's been one of our best hitters for the last three years. And obviously tearing his ACL after the huge start that he had for us the first two weeks um, was really, really a, a, a blow to our offense. Um, but to have him back and healthy and um, be able to get him his back going is going to be a middle of the order guy. Um Tom Jostin, ability to play second base. You know, Tom gives us a lot of versatility. He can play infield or outfield but a guy that's you know been starter for us um you know really 2020 he he came in and started and, and got off to a good start and then obviously gets two more huge years and a ton of at bats and just the experience the power um the ability to play second base or the outfield um and then you know you got drew Ferro and 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 greg pate who are two really really talented freshmen uh drew has the ability i mean he's very Similar because he's a switch hitter and he has the ability of Alex Freeland. Um, from a tool standpoint, he's farther along than Alex Freeland was at this age, uh, their freshman years. Um, you know, Drew, again, a big time football player in high school. So, um, you know, we'll be interested to see how he handles how he handles the game situations and whatnot, where Alex was an absolute gamer. Um, you know, Drew's a little bit farther ahead on the tool side. So we'll kind of, you know, time will tell in terms of how he handles handles the game. Uh, Matt Cedarberg, also, I mentioned in the outfield, you know, he has the ability to play the infield as well. So, again, gives us some more versatility, uh, but really excited about all those guys. And we think that it's going to give us a talented and, and experienced infield. Well, you mentioned Nick Romano playing first base while he was injured. Ben McCabe saw a lot of time there at first base. Of course, the roster lists him as a catcher. And I don't believe I've like since I've covered you guys, I don't I don't remember seeing him behind the plate much. So can you talk about how, how you're going to be able to utilize Ben this week, uh, this year, if uh, Nick is going to be back at first? Yeah. So, you know, Ben was expected to be our starting catcher last year. Ben caught a ton two years ago um, in the, in the kind of the, the, the weird year in 21 with the COVID stuff and, and the way we had no midweek games when conference started. Uh, ben started half the games before 
um, conference started and then, and then, you know, Josh Crouch really, you know, turned into who he ended up being. And, and at that point, um, you know, Nick had gotten hurt. Um, and, and so Ben started playing a little bit of first base and DHing every game. Um, and then last year, Ben ended up hurting his arm and needing arm surgery. And so, um, he was supposed to DH the whole year and then, and then Nick gets hurt again. And, and so he, uh, got forced into the first base role and we really had to try to protect him and try to hide the fact that he couldn't throw. Uh, so it was an interesting year for us to have somebody at first base that was, uh, really unable to make a, a, a throw more than lobbing it back and forth around the, around the infield. So, um, Ben had surgery at the end of last season, uh, in June, he held off. He wanted to make sure he wanted to play. He wanted to hit, he knew he could at least DH and did a great job for us, but you know, he's back behind the plate, um, and, uh, able to do both. He still works out at first base, obviously just don't want to, don't want to push Nick too much. If, if we feel like he needs a DH for day, uh, for a day or whatnot and days that Ben's not catching, um, then he has the ability to play, you know, Ben has the ability to play first base. So you, you'll probably see Ben at both um, catcher and first base, but I'm excited to have Ben healthy. His arm looks great. And, you know, the, you know, obviously having again, that bat in the lineup, a guy that has double digit home runs the last two years really gives us that age experience and, and even behind the plate, just knowing that he knows what he's doing and can, and can do all that is awesome. Well, last year, of course, you had uh, Andrew Sundin kind of pushed into service, and he ended up really running with it. I see now you have a, a solid depth as far as Kedrick. Now that you have Ben back, you also have Riley Park, Eric Suarez, and, of course, Sundin coming back. So what can you say about this group of catchers? Yeah, so my catching group is really deep. Um, obviously, Andrew is hurt. Uh, he had surgery in the fall. Uh, we'll probably miss um, – I don't know, the, the first month of the season, maybe. Um, we don't really have a timeline for that, but um, he will be back at some point. We just don't know. Uh, so, again, having the depth, Cole Russo caught um, a, a lot of games last year. He's back, uh, has the ability to play third or first or catch. Um, and then, obviously, Ben and Riley Parker is a freshman and, and Keanu, who's, who, who we picked up. So, uh, we have depth. We have we feel like we have, th you know, five guys that can catch, uh, but definitely have three guys that – you know, between Ben and Andrew and, and Cole that have caught before that understand the position that give us some, some depth, give us some versatility because two of them can play multiple positions. Um, you know, and obviously, um, obviously give us some, some offensive firepower. So, and especially when we get Andrew back at some point that I'll bring another experienced bat into the lineup. So just kind of excited about the depth at, at, at the catching position as well. I'm curious with obviously the adversity with the injuries. You mentioned Ben McCabe when you had to move him to first and DH. Yeah. Can that pay off here in the long term? Because it's bringing you versatility. Uh, is that the positive? You got to take some positive from all the adversity you had with the injuries. Is that the positive that now you got guys that have more versatility and experience that out of necessity? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, I think one, just going through the adversity last year and understanding that, that, you know, I think early in the year when we lose, we, we, we lost Nick um, and then we had lost Hunter and stuff. And I felt like the team just was kind of like, Oh my gosh, like Ben's hurt now Nick's hurt. Um, and we kind of were going through this, like, woe is me. Like everything's going wrong. Like things are, you know what I mean? And we just had to really get them to focus on just trying to, get better, like trust the people that are, that are now playing, like they're here for a reason. They're good enough. So I thought that was great. But then again, obviously um, getting guys to play different positions and, and, and whatnot is always, I mean, again, it, we didn't know about Andrew Sundin until, until uh, the injuries happened. So um, it really was, 
um, an opportunity for us to, to, to push some guys and maybe put them in the lineup that weren't, that weren't expecting to be there, uh, which then gave them experience. So it really changed our team in, in terms of that going into this year where we're just more, we're more experienced. Uh, we've had a lot of guys that, that got great time last year. Um, now we're getting healthier. So it gives us depth. It gives us the ability to do different things positionally or days off or whatever the case is. But it also gives us the ability that in case there are injuries, which there's going to be at some point, if somebody's going to have a, a, you know, something that misses a game or two or three or four, whatever the case is, I feel like we're, we're, we're in a position now where we're not going to be having to thrust inexperienced people into the lineup, but we're going to have the depth to be able to put experienced people in there. Well, speaking of speaking of injuries, those really hit your pitching squad last last season with Connor and uh, with with Connor getting the way he was, and so, yeah. and so and Hunter as well. So, what can you say about this about this year's pitching squad? What do you think? What what do you think is going to be different about that this season as opposed to last season? And who do you think we could see a lot of that's in store for a good year? Yeah. So, I mean, again, I just think that there was a lot of guys that got some experience last year that are just a little bit older and, and, and what it does is just gives us the depth. So um, even root. Okay. So Rudy Gomez last year has the torn ACL uh, his late in his junior college career comes to us. He misses the entire fall. Um, you know, he is trying to get, comfortable with the knee and the brace and all that kind of stuff in the first half of the year was just very average and then by the second half of the year he was one of our best 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 pitchers and so he really stepped up well now he's able to be have a full healthy year a full healthy fall um, really kind of hopefully going to start where he finished off and, and has a chance to be in our rotation Ben Vespi again had a great freshman year he has to step in and be the ace of the staff once those injuries go down, did a great job late. Um, so now he kind of has not only that experience of being a bullpen and and a, a swing guy, but then he gets to start, you know, I think the last, I don't know, eight weeks of the season and did a great job. So now he has the starting experience. He can put himself in a, in a spot for uh, a rotation. Um, you know, Nick Vieira misses last year. He He's back and has had um, a great fall or whatnot, but Cam Crane and, and Dom Stagliano, or excuse me, um, Dom Castellano, those two guys had a ton of, of opportunities last year. They're way more experienced. Um, and so can uh, Kyle Kramer's back who had a ton of save opportunities last year. Again, a guy that was, had made the transition from D two to D one. So now that he's been in the program for over a year, like, and knows again, what this is all about. Like you just feel really good about him. And then we brought in a, um, a couple transfers that I think have an opportunity to be a big time part of our team this year. Victor, who was a, a dominant force at Florida Gulf coast, uh, Dom Stagliano, who was a freshman all American at Stetson. Um, and so you got those two guys that Zach Chapel, who's a fifth year guy from North Florida, uh, who gives, brings a ton of experience. Um, and then Zach Austin, um, who was a division two transfer from, from a school up in Pennsylvania, who was a two-way player, a hitter as well, has given up hitting to really focus on pitching. And he might have the best stuff on our entire team and have the ability to really be a breakout guy, uh, just learning how to pitch and learning how to do it on a, on a daily basis at this level, you know, he's going to have some maybe growing pains early, but he's definitely the type of guy that, you know, has the ability to really, um, change the end of the game for us. Um, and so, um, you got him and then Cam Leiter, um, who's a, a, an absolute, um, 
you know, game changing type pitchers, a freshman, the, the lineage and all that like is there. Uh, but the stuff is there. I mean, again, he's a guy that has the top two or three stuff on our team. And so just getting him to to kind of understand, you know, we gave him two starts in the fall games just to try to understand the routine and understand uh, what it takes to to prepare yourself for that those moments. And so uh, he has the ability to start for us. Jacob Marlowe, again, last year, I don't even think Jacob Marlowe traveled the first couple road trips. And because of the injuries, and, and again, he had missed the fall, he got healthy and then really started to gain the confidence. And we started putting him in more and more games. And at the end of the year, he was one of our best, you know, him and Rudy and Ben were really our three best pitchers, I feel like, other than, you know, starting and, or bullpen guys. Um, and so now he has a ton of experience, has really made great strides, has has is really vying for a starting job on one of our four starters. So um, we feel like we're getting this, the depth and um, the experience that we need and, and, and guys that have had to pitch last year, guys that are getting healthier, guys that are now having a full year of health. Um, and then obviously guys, again, like Cam Leiter that, you know, just from a freshman standpoint, have the ability to really help us. So um, I think when you start adding those all together, there's a depth. Um, uh, we're much deeper than last year. So we can uh, we can give guys breaks and not not have to use them too much. We're we're set up in case we have to to deal with some injuries. Um, but we also have the age and experience um, to be able to perform at a high level. So um, we're definitely in a much better spot than we were last year. I'm curious with Cam, and, and for those that don't know, obviously he's related to Al Leiter, uh, Mark Leiter, part of a Leiter factory. They've done incredible yeah. for baseball, Jack Leiter. His cousin. I'm curious, be, he's obviously been around baseball a mm -hmm. lot in his entire life. Does that, do you see that in him as a freshman? Does that give him a little bit more uh, of an advantage knowing that he's been around the sport versus maybe a, another freshman that hasn't been around professional baseball perhaps like he has? Yeah, I think that the game changes, obviously, at every level that you go to. It just gets more in-depth. It gets um, a lot more cerebral. Um, and so I think that most freshmen come in and they just think, like, it's going to be like high school and I'm just going to go out there and throw and it's going to – and it, it's just not. Like, there's a process and there's a learning and there's a um, – at practice and in bullpens, like, you, you have to have a plan um, and you have to – to try to get better every single day. And it's not just go through the motions. It's not just, well, I'm better than the other team. Like there's a growth process that you have to go through. Um, and so when you just watch him though, when he comes in, like he just talks a little bit differently, talks a little bit more maturely in terms of, excuse me, of the game, um, understands that, that, that growth mindset, I think a little bit more because he's just been around it and been taught um, from a, from a family that has, multiple big leaguers and, and, you know, his dad played professionally. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about not only does he have uncles that play in the big leagues, but he's got two cousins in the big leagues. And so he's just, you know, even though he grew up in Canada, so he wasn't really around the game, you know, he just was around people that understood the game and that, you know, they have him on speed dial. So when he has a problem or he has something that he needs, doesn't understand, he can, can call, uh, um, you know, there was a, a story I, I, and it didn't really have to do with him getting better, but it was just a funny story of they were all of our players were eating dinner in the in the nutrition center in the fall. And they had some argument about who was better between a couple guys. And so he just FaceTimed Al um, in front of everybody to let Al make the decision since he was like it was a, it was a like who's a better major league pitcher, this guy or this guy. And Al, you know, doing what he does and being in the big leagues, they like just FaceTimed him to get his 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 uh, input in it. So it's just be able to do that to talk to a guy that pitched in the big leagues for 20 years or whatever it is like just gives him 
some extra knowledge and the ability in the growth process. But when you go and watch him prepare and, and throw a bullpen, like from the first time I saw him, it was like, man, this guy just, he acts differently on the mound. He thinks differently on the mound. He's just a little bit more cerebral, a little bit farther ahead. Um, he's acting more like a junior in terms of how he goes about his business, how he prepares in those situations. So, um, you know, I'm excited. I think he has a, he obviously has a really bright future and I'm glad he's, he's, he's going to be pitching for us. Well, the guy that's going to be uh, coaching him and all the rest of the pitchers is Mike Marath, former UCF great, uh, which your that situation was fascinating because this took place in December when Nick took uh, left for a great opportunity with professional baseball. And that's not usual in college baseball, like two months before the season, you got to find a pitching coach. And then the news comes out, you uh, hire Mike Marath. And my reaction is like, wow, that's awesome. We got the UCF alums were excited because you got one of theirs. I saw him pitch. But then you got people like Bryson, who's a Braves fan, who's shocked. He's like, wait a minute. He's our, in our farm system. There were Braves fans on social media. They were upset. Yeah. <laughs> so which clearly tells you how well people receive the, the hire because he's that good. And with the job he's done with the Braves, take us through that process. And because it's unique, it, it's not, you know, it's what you've used. You've had to replace coaches and things, but not yeah. that late, close to a season. <clears throat> so what was that like? Yeah, it's definitely different. It was very, um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm happy for Nick and, and it, it was a great opportunity for him and his family. And, um, but you know, there's just been a shift, you know, obviously college baseball and professional baseball, we don't work on the same timelines. Their jobs are November to December, maybe early January, that that's when the shifting occurs. You know, the season ends March 1st or excuse me, November 1st. And they kind of renew contracts and, and are hiring people and making changes at the big league level or at the, the, the administrative in terms of general manager level. And so, then all of a sudden their shifting starts happening and then jobs start come open or they, they make changes or they don't renew contracts. And then, and then you just get a lot of movement. Um, and obviously there's also been a shift in professional baseball is really gone to a much more development based system, which is what college has kind of been. So a lot of college coaches are getting kind of taken by the professional level. So, I mean, it's just been a shift the last probably 24 months in terms of a lot more college guys finding jobs in professional baseball um so you knew that it was a it was a chance but you obviously are still just it's a different dynamic when you're trying to find somebody in January or December than you are when you're trying to find them in the summer which is when most of our jobs are making those those same exact things that the big leagues are doing November to January ours are June and July so uh, it definitely was a different I cast a wide net I mean I, I talked to probably 50 different candidates just trying to, you know, gather information, gather interest and, and try to figure out what was going to be the best for this club. Um, and it's a different dynamic because you, you know, you gotta, you gotta bring somebody in in the middle of the year that, that the season gets going like immediately. And so you've got to be somebody that you feel like can handle that, can handle the, the, the season starting and have to try to learn guys and has that kind of experience. And, um, but at the same time, you also have to look long-term future, like what's going to help us develop guys at, at, at a high clip and continue to, to build off of the success that the pitching staff has had the last couple of years. Um, and so um, it was really difficult to try to find the, the candidate you felt like you do, could do all of them um, and then have somebody that really cares about this place and really is invested. And so obviously Mike, kind of checks all the boxes of a guy that is a UCF alum. He's a local guy here that went to Boone high school, like, um, and had a lot of success here and, and a third round draft pick out of UCF. And then obviously pitched in the big leagues. Um, but then has also had a lot of success as a minor league pitching coach and, and been able to develop a ton of big leaguers. You look at the the Braves 
pitching staff right now and all the guys that have gone through their minor leagues like Max Fried and Spencer Strider and um, 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 uh, I'm blanking on a couple of the other guys. All of a sudden, the guy that tore his, AC, or tore his Achilles. Like, so, I mean, all those guys have come up through those minor leagues and, and Mike's been a part of their development. So um, to see that and, and to, to, to know that it's just obviously a good opportunity for our players. And, you know, he had to hit the ground running. Like he literally was in the office on Tuesday and we started practice on Monday and it was like, man, like better watch a lot of, you know, trying to get him as much information, all the video to be able to catch up and build the relationships and all that. And uh, he's obviously an A plus human being. So uh, that, that, that has been a great addition to our program. So um, it's good to have, have a UCF guy here and, and a guy that cares about, you know, developing the program, you know, as much as, as I do and, um, and as much as our whole entire staff does, but a guy that has a different view of he's, he was part of it and he was, he was in these players shoes. And I think that helps him with our guys too. One unique skill set that I think Maroth brings to this staff. I remember when he was first brought on by the Braves organization, it was as their minor league rehab pitching coordinator, given, Mm -hmm. you know, the pitching injuries that have plagued this team for the past two seasons. How big is, is is Maroth's skill set coming in to potentially address that sort of those sort of thing so it's not as big a problem in the future yeah I mean I think it's big just a guy that has been there and helped rehab guys back and obviously you know we didn't talk about Zach Bennett as a pitcher like was our perceived closer going into the season last year and ended up you know having Tommy John surgery it was just over a year ago now. So he's making his way back. We'll, we'll uh, be ready to go the first few weeks of the season, um, possibly opening weekend, like, you know, but he's getting close. So just being able to get him back and help him through that process has been huge. I mean, I think, you know, we, we hired Kaylee Shores as our, as our new athletic trainer um, in the off season. And she's been an absolute um, rock star uh, for our entire, our, our entire team. But uh, really, our pitching staff has just been game changing and, and really put, putting ourselves in a better situation and um, from from less injuries and just being healthier and and having a game plan on how we're going to get guys back, but how we're going to keep guys healthy um, and just having the synergy with her and, and Jeremy Fraden, our strength coach. And then obviously when Nick was here and now with Mike and just having them all work together has, I felt like, really been a, a game changing thing for our, our our entire team. But again, especially our pitching staff, just the knowledge that we have and the ability to to put people in the best situations and get them back healthier, keep them healthy. Um, I, I think it just saw a lot of changes in the fall and, and early on that have really put us in a much better situation. So I think between Mike and her, like has been a great, a great change and a great dynamic to, to kind of put us on a better, better spot than we were last year. See, I told you, Bryson knows everything about the Braves, including what role Mike was hired in. I mean, I knew Mike from UCF and then when he was with the Florida Flyer Frogs and we had him on the show, it's just hilarious on there. But you mentioned Zach Bennett. So I want to ask you about the bullpen because anybody that's followed your program knows how critical it is your bullpen that's a big part of your success tell us a little bit about the bullpen this year yeah so I mean we got we got I think we got a deep bullpen and the ability to do some great things obviously Kyle Kramer being back who had six saves for us last year I didn't mention Chase Santala who was you know again just a guy that really was his first experience he had transferred from Florida had pitched very minimally uh, there for them as a freshman so last year uh, really just still kind of learning the ropes in terms of the ups and downs. And he had some unbelievable performances. I mean, the Ole Miss performance where I think he went five hitless innings or four hitless innings in relief, like that was unbelievable. Um, and so now again, um, to have him back at kind of the understand and the experience now where you just hope that his, you know, I think he can be a lot more consistent. His stuff has been a little bit better. Like 
that I, I think that we're going to be able to see the, the, the Chase and Tala of Ole Miss. Uh, we're going to get to see him a lot more this year. Um, Najir Victor has the ability to be a back-end guy um, with um, a swing guy that can throw two, three innings. He, he's has starting experience at the D1 level, but he has that that power stuff at the end of the game. Um, and so you, you put that into the mix. Zach Austin, again, probably has the best or second best stuff on our entire team and has the ability to be 94 to 97 miles an hour, the wipeout breaking ball, very Jeff Hakinson like, um, but he's still making that transition. So, but he has that, that ceiling. And, and so to be able to see a guy, Mike's been able to work with him really. I mean, again, the fall was really trying to get him to understand what the daily routine of pitching was like and not hitting and not having to try to do both. And so felt like Nick did a great job of preparing for that. And now it was kind of more like, all right, now how can we make some slight adjustments to kind of mechanically and mentally get you to be um, the great pitcher that the ceiling says you can be. And so again, that power stuff at the end of the game, um, again, Kyle Kramer, but then you add Zach Chappell who has a great breaking ball, great guy that can help us at the end of the game with left-handers. Nick Vieira has really made a jump. You know, again, Nick was a guy that didn't pitch a lot early as a freshman, pitched in the championship game against South Florida in 01 and did a great job, obviously gets hurt last year, but spent a lot of time this summer rehabbing and putting himself in a good situation and really made, um, he was one of our, I mean, our, one of our best pitchers the entire fall. So he's really made some strides um, that gives us again, another kind of swing guy that can start, can, can, can throw at the end of the game, like can do a bunch of different things. Um, and then again, Jacob Marlowe and, and Dom Stagliano, who, who again, Dom was a freshman All-American at Stetson last year as a starter for them. Those guys can be huge swing guys. I mean, I think one or both of them are going to start on, at some point, whether it's on Sundays or whether that's on Tuesdays or Wednesdays in our midweek games, but also have the ability to, to not have to have those guys go seven or eight innings, but go three, four innings on a midweek. Maybe they split it or whatever, but then the ability to throw one or two innings uh, on the weekends when we need them. So, I mean, again, the depth is, is really there. Um, and so it's exciting to know that the bullpen has some power stuff. It has guys that are experienced um, and it has guys that have, have, have pitched a, at a high level, whether it's that at D one or at another school or, or whatever the case is. Um, but it, it has the ability to be a really, a really dominant back half. And that takes a lot of pressure off the starters. And so Rudy and Cam and, and Ben, and, and whether it's Jacob or, or Dom, like those guys, again, just go out there and, and throw one great inning and then go, do it again if you can. And if it's four great innings and we got to go to the bullpen, we got the depth. And if it's seven great innings, awesome. Then we get we got guys at the back end to close the game out. So it just takes a lot of the pressure, I think, off the starters to know that they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be, you know, these huge inning eaters where, man, we have to go seven or eight innings. Where last year you felt like, man, like we need with the injuries, it's like, man, we how are we gonna get to the end of the game? Like, and we were just trying to put pieces together, Cam Cranes, like those guys, like they just stepped up and um, and so now it's the ability to, Hey, like we we've got the horses at the end. We got, we got the horses at the beginning. We feel like we got horses in the middle, like just go, go do your best, go close out the inning. Um, and if we ask you to go do another inning, great. And if not, we'll get somebody else in there to go, to go do the same thing for the next inning. And, uh, we feel like in a good situation again, to overcome any injuries that we have to give guys rest if they need it, but also have guys that are super talented and, and, and power stuff all through the, all through the you know, the, the rotation and the, and the back end. Coach, looking to the schedule, I noticed when I looked that you went, you actually have four 
national seeds from the last year's NCAA baseball tournament on the schedule. ECU, of course, being in conference. You you go you, Georgia Southern comes here after you beat them at in Statesboro last last season. Your your midweek game against Miami, and then Maryland is also coming to town. So, yeah. can you talk about kind of you, you, what went into this year's non conference schedule and how they can prepare this team for their final season in the American? Yeah, it's gonna be super challenging. You know, obviously as baseball coaches, we're kind of like same thing with football, where you're you're scheduling three years in advance sometimes, so you really don't know how good a team is going to be. Obviously, Georgia Southern had a monster year last year. They have most of their team returning. They're going to be out for blood because we go there and take two out of three in their in the, in, you know, in their place last year. So they're going to want revenge. So it's going to be a huge series for us. Obviously, we're starting with Sienna, who every year comes in here and is excited to get out of the cold and excited to get the season started. And, and Tony has done a great job for the last 50-something years uh, of, of being a college baseball coach. So um, obviously we're playing the normal midweek games, which are FAU is always a perennial regional team. North Florida has been really tough. We struggled with them last year. Um, Troy, the Sun Belt has been, you know, probably um, one of the top three or four conferences in the country the last few years. And so, you know, Troy, we went to their place two years ago and lost two out of three. So um, it's not going to be an easy, easy weekend. Dartmouth came in here, I think, four years ago and took two out of three from us. They're always a perennial uh uh, uh, Ivy League uh, champion. So, uh, and then Maryland, obviously ranked 13th, 15th in the country right now. Um, and so having them here is going to be a huge, a huge challenge for us. Um, and then obviously, obviously having the Miami, we got Florida State at home for two games. So it's a challenging, challenging schedule. Um, I don't know who's in charge of that, but they should be fired, right? Like, um, but uh <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be fun and it's challenging. But in order to be the best, you got to beat the best in order to prepare us, prepare us for our conference, which, again, we think is one of the best conferences in the country in the American to prepare us for ECU. Like that's what the Maryland at Clemson. So it's going to be a regional type atmosphere at Clemson. So, I mean, it really set the schedule up for some difficult games. Um, but I do also feel like we have the experience. We have the age. We have the 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 kind of the team that can handle that uh, and put us in a good situation, not only to to win our conference, but put us in a chance to host a regional or, or uh, put us in a national seed. Uh, we just got to go out and, and show everybody what, what we're made of and, and uh, have a lot of fun and just, you know, really focus on winning pitches. And, and, and if you do that, we got a chance. Yeah. Clemson, of course, has their new head coach, coach Backage coming over from Michigan. That was a big story in the off season. Florida state comes here, link Jarrett, new uh, head coach there at FSU with rich Wallace, former UCF Knight as well as staff. I went to school at the same time he did. So I'm getting yeah. old, clearly, yeah. uh, between him and Mike Maroth. I, I, what's going on here? Um, but I'm curious, how is your schedule going to be adjusted or uh, affected when you get to the Big 12? I think you mentioned on Media Day that's 30 yeah. conference games for the Big yeah. 12. Just explain the Big 12 formula as far as scheduling and how that affects your program because obviously the Americans uh 24. So that will affect right. your schedule to some extent. Yeah, so it definitely it adds more weekends of conference play. Uh, so in the American, you have six non-conference weekends to start the season, and then you go um, uh, eight straight conference weekends because uh, we have even number of teams. So we're able to play the last eight weekends are all conference games. So the Big 12 will have an uneven amount of teams, uh, plus we'll have more teams. So it's going to change a little bit where instead of having six non-conference weekends to start the year, we'll only have three uh, then we'll start conference play in week four with the odd number. Then one team has a bye every every week. So you'll have a bye week mixed in somewhere in those in those uh, 11 weeks or 10 week 11 weeks of conference play. Um, um, 
And so you get three non-conference weekends and 11 conference weeks with one bye week somewhere in there uh, based on the schedule. Um, so you're going to play more conference games, which obviously is, 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 is fine. Like there's no big deal. Like that's just what, what, what the schedule is. So uh, just with the number of teams that, that are different. So um, the first year or two, depending on what well, I guess Texas and Oklahoma do, there'll be two teams that we don't play as well. Um, and then if, once those teams leave, then, then we'll have, everyone will play everybody. Um, so, uh, but it'll be a good challenge. Um, obviously a lot of great teams in that conference, but I feel like the American has kind of prepared us for that with as many good teams as, as we have in our conference. So, um, you know, we'll be excited when that happens in July, but we got a lot of work to do between now and then. And so it'll be 30 games, even when Oklahoma and Texas leave, whenever they leave, it'll be yes, still a 30. It okay. will not change. It will not change at all. Does that affect to how your in-state, because you like playing the in-state teams, yeah. does that make it more challenging to fit them into the schedule? I don't think so. Just because they're midweek games, I think we're able to kind of to try to continue those those games and those rivalries and, and things like that. So um, we do plan on keeping the play USF um, um, every year, uh, a weekend series. So kind of like okay. Florida, Miami do, kind of like georgia georgia tech do or clemson south carolina where they're playing a weekend series every year early in the year uh we're going to keep that up i might just feel like it's important for the rivalry and 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 uh it's obviously an easy commute and things like that so um billy and i have kind of agreed that we're going to try to continue to do that and continue to play each other we're playing six times you know the last couple of years so obviously that won't happen it'll go down to three but um but i think that's an important part and i think it's good for for college baseball and you know i feel like you know we, we have a, a, a great rivalry and they're obviously a great team. So it's going to help us RPI wise and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a good setup and, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to continue to do that. A couple last things before we let you go, kind of creative part of the schedule there later in the year, as you play, go to Cincinnati, play Ohio state and Wright state, which is very familiar there. You coached there, had great success. You and coach ball Malone like to just this year playing your former schools. Uh, she's playing Boise. You're playing Wright state. I know that's a long ways away, but uh, I'm curious how that all came about playing in Ohio. Is that just one of those things? Hey, we're going to go to Cincinnati. We might as well get some games on, uh, on there. And then obviously right being a special place for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just kind of worked out, um, where, you know, we we're going to Tulane and then Cincinnati. So it was two games on the road. So it's traveling a lot and then coming back and then trying to play a game on Tuesday or Wednesday and then get back on the plane and go to, go to Ohio. Um, School is out, so it's after school, uh, after finals are done. So I just felt like it was a good opportunity for us to, to instead of traveling back and forth and taking four flights um, and, and, and near the end of this, because it's really near the end of the year and just kind of putting a lot of grind on the guys in terms of, you know, sleeping and all that kind of stuff, I felt like this was a better situation. And so, um, yeah, obviously just called my contacts up there with, with the teams that I knew were going to be around the area, you know, what, you know, all over Indiana, Ohio, and, and just try to figure out who could play and, and, and could fit it in so that we could just go straight from Tulane to Cincinnati or to Ohio or wherever, and try to fit in two midweek games uh, late in the year and just um, give us an opportunity to kind of, not travel as much, but at the same time, get a challenging schedule and get on the road and, and just kind of prepare us maybe for a regional or, or, or the conference tournament. Um, and so it just worked out well where it was like, hey, instead of going to lane, come back, try to play a game and then didn't get back on the on a on a plane and fly again. Let's just fly straight. And so we end up able to find, you know, two games in midweeks, which I thought was just going to make it worthwhile to, to do that. And, and, you know, you're not playing one midweek game, but two. So it makes makes the whole trip worthwhile. So. And obviously going back to Wright State, 
I mean, that wasn't originally the game plan, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it'll be exciting for me. Um, I really haven't put a ton of thought into it just because it's so far ahead and, and I'm just really worried about opening day and trying to get the guys ready. But I'm sure when the time comes, like I'll be excited to go back and, and see a lot of people and obviously the staff there that I'm still friends with and and whatnot. And um, I'll probably a bunch of alums will be around. So it'll be good, but it'll be a good challenge for us. I mean, they're obviously really good and Ohio State will be really good. So it'll be a good challenge for us to get on the road for 11 days and, and play, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, eight really, really tough opponents on the road. One uh, big new offseason news in the NCAA there. They've passed the full volunteer position, becoming a full-time position, which will affect softball and baseball uh, full-time. That's something that's been talked about in baseball for a few years. I remember you were very vocal when it got it didn't pass a few years yeah. ago about it. Now it's finally passed. Your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's good for our game. It's just going to give more people opportunities to go out recruiting, to to kind of build their resume, to to get on the road and get the experience that they need. That's just going to end up being better for our game. I think it opens up more minority uh, opportunities. So um, I just think for our game, um, having people like that that are going to be in more programs are just going to be better for the players. Um, to have more full-time coaches that are going to be around them, um, give them a better experience. It, it's going to allow more coaches to have more time at home now that you have an extra person on the road. So your family life balance is going to be better. Um, and like I said, it's going to open up more opportunities for, for coaching candidates. So I just think from a totality standpoint for the players, for the programs, for the coaches, for the, for the just longevity and, and just the betterment of our game. Um, I just think it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that, that we finally got it done. You used a little bit of replay last year. How'd you feel about instant replay uh, during conference games and and so forth? And moving forward, what you expect? What do you want to see from instant replay? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's just part of the game now. Like, and again, umpires are not perfect, and it's just opportunity for when certain situations arise, especially late in the game when when you know the the, the moment is really big that we just make sure we get the call right. Like, make sure that the kids are rewarded for for doing the right thing uh, and. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, just obviously with technology now, it's just so easy to do it. I don't feel like it slows the game down too much, um, but to make sure that we get calls right and uh, whatnot. So I think it's, it's a big part of our game now, and I think it's a great part. And then the last question I have to ask you, are you on mm -hmm. Team Sami Zayn or Team Cody Rhodes who should beat Co uh, Roman Reigns for the title? I just love the Sami Zayn storyline. It's been awesome to watch and follow and stuff. So hopefully uh, hopefully he can he can make it happen and – um, but I was really hoping The Rock was going to do it. But you know, you you said The Rock. It just didn't happen. He's too focused on the movies. He can't. He I says know. he's not fit enough, which is kind of a what a problem to have. He's as fit as he is as in training, and yet he says he's not wrestling fit. Right. That seems seems not not <laughs> impossible, but such is life. It is just such as life. Well, Coach, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We're excited. UCF Baseball gets going against Siena opening night. Check out UCFNights.com for all the details. Uh, Coach, always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll see you out there at the park, and uh, thanks for talking to us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Have a great day. And thanks again to Greg Lovelady for our traditional in-depth interview there. Always a pleasure. He's been on every year since he's been here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, Jeffrey. It's always a friend of the pod. That's right. Thanks to Alex Funderburg uh, over there, uh, over there at baseball to help us set that traditional review. And look, very revealing from Greg, obviously talking about what the future with the South Florida rivalry and what's getting the scheduling with the Big 12. We talked about the Big 12 earlier, so uh, – It'll be fascinating to see this year's team and how all the pieces fit and hopefully staying healthy and especially in the pitching staff with the new pitching coach, Mike Marath. Uh, my question to you guys is this, like with, um, with 
ECU obviously being the clear favorite, are they gettable this year? Yeah, it, it, as, you know, or, or is it still ECU's conference loser? Does or does Greg think that you know there's really an opening uh, for them to perhaps steal the conference crown this year? Well, I think East Carolina is still the team to beat. I mean, Cliff Godwin's done a great job. Uh, they're the favorites until somebody dethrones them. That being said, as you know, Jeff, you and I have covered the league for a long time. The league's usually been a top five league. UCF has certainly been at the top. They won the conference title in 17. And I think it's, you know, if you look back at last season, if the conference would have actually had a down year, if the conference had a normal year, I think UCF would have been in the NCAA tournament. But because the league was down, UCF, the wins they got in the conference, finishing at the top of the league, didn't get register the quality wins that they're used to, Bryson. So uh, I think that's kind of me to me, Bryson. That's hopefully the conference, other than East Carolina, steps up because I think that gives you more opportunities to get great wins. But uh, I think Greg's also done a great job with the non-conference this year with Maryland at home. You got Miami, obviously Florida State coming in, Georgia Southern. So you hope that that will help as far as the scheduling is concerned. And look for this team to compete. It's going to be pitching, pitching. I think health, right, Bryson? Health and pitching. Yes, health and pitching. I think is the is going to be the biggest thing. Having Mike Maroth, we've talked about his expertise before in being and you know rehabbing injuries and have. I think having that is going to be crucial coming into this i'm looking at uh, the um preseason all conference team ecu has two uh unanimous selections to that team in pitcher carter spivey and outfielder jacob jenkins cower but wichita state sneak is sneaking in there with uh four with four players in there i think that this conference uh, this american conference is actually a pr- on a, a solid upswing in terms of c- competitiveness yeah, hopefully it's a bounce back year for right. the league yeah. to be a multi bid league again, like it's been. Right, Houston, like Houston, for instance, was like one vote, I believe, because I believe the way they work is that the way the coaches vote works is that you have a first place vote, which is like a certain number of points, I guess, and I think that's how that works. Sure. And so, Houston was only one point ahead on on UCF in the rankings UCF was 38 and third and then Houston was 39 and second so from what that's telling me it looks like right after ECU the coaches are thinking that Houston and UCF are kind of jockeying for position in that second place right now with Tulane and Wichita State right behind them but don't count out Tulane and Wichita State either like I said Wichita State's got a lot of people on that preseason all conference individual talent obviously Eric Wood just moved on over there at Wichita State uh so we'll see hopefully like I said hopefully the league gets back to what it was prior to last year which was a top five league which gets you quality wins, which gets you multiple bids into the NCAA. If the league was strong last year, UCF would have been in the tournament. So we'll see how that goes. And then obviously everybody's going to watch John Rice Plumley and see what happens. And I thought that was revealing about Greg and what he thinks his potential is for John Rice. I think John Rice is going to be a bigger factor on this team than people and maybe that don't follow baseball closely think, uh, especially with the style that UCF plays with being aggressive on the base pads. I think his range on the outfield, I think I got the sense he really likes John Rice and what he'll do with his team. Yeah, I think um, last season we had a a speedster in the outfielder by the name of Trent Taylor. He got a lot more playing time last year in his in his final season. But one thing that I know that I really noticed is that while he wasn't in the outfield all the time, 
he was he was there a good amount of times, but while he wasn't there all the time, he whenever he wasn't fielding, he they he, they brought him on as a pinch runner. And from what I, it looks like to me, I think that looks like it, it seems like that's a similar role, I think, for John Rice Plumley to take, because the way that I look at this outfield, I don't think that John Rice Plumley could start every game. But that but I don't think that really matters because having him on the base pads is huge with the speed that he brings. Yeah, I mean, I still think that, it, you know, it, for, as as fun as that can be. And I think John Rice Plumley with his speed alone could probably win us a few games and score us a few extra runs. I still think that the big thing, and you guys have talked about this, is health of the pitching staff. That's always been the issue year in and year out. Can they stay healthy? I think that's going to be the overall key, and 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 that's that's going to determine where how far UCF gets, um, both in the national rankings and in this conference. First game is Friday, 6 p.m. against Siena. The Saints are back in town. Um, Three-game set uh, at John Uliano Park. Uh, Friday 6, Saturday 4, Sunday at 1. Uh, and then FAU comes to town on Tuesday before the Knights head out to Clemson uh, next weekend for a three-game set among the other teams coming into town. Uh, Troy, Florida State, uh, and then uh, and Maryland, uh, as well as some uh, as well as a, a series with North Florida that goes midweek. Uh, and then conference play starts March 31st uh, with South Florida coming to town at home. Uh, on uh, on the 31st of March. That's a 6 p.m. start for that. My, UCF also travels down to Miami April the 4th. Uh, that big series against ECU is in Greenville this year, April 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, so that's the one to keep a close eye on uh, as UCF gets uh, gets baseball season underway yet again. Final year in the, Amer- uh, in the American as well. Yeah, well, it'll be a big one. And, of course, a lot of coverage – on YouTube, a lot of interviews from Media Day that Bryson and Nick Porcelli did uh, this upcoming uh, for this upcoming baseball season. Check it out on YouTube, and especially the interview with Greg Lovelady and all the player interviews from Media Day. Of course, we also have some softball post game on the YouTube videos, Jeffrey, and we're going to talk some softball. The other yes, side here. yes, we do. You know who's really excited about talking softball? Lucy, my dog. She can't wait to get to that. She, she's like enough of that. I want to get it. all right. We'll talk softball, and uh, Bryce is going to talk about some records that have just been broken uh, in a couple sports. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric, Bryson, Jeff, and Nick Porcelli also joining us here uh, on the show. Let's talk a little softball, Eric, just like we promised. Three and one start to the season. Um, lost to UGA in the opener. Uh, in a game where, you know, I felt like they, you know, they just couldn't get one of those situations where, you know, they just couldn't get the timely hit. Um, also had a, a hard time keeping the leadoff runners off the bases, but they recovered well. All right. Got the W against, uh, uh, got wins against UMass, um, uh, Ohio State, and then that late night, early morning thriller against Boise State that you and uh, that you and the crew were up for. Um, not a bad start, right? Yeah. No, good start. I mean, three and one, I take it. You know, the Georgia game, you know, some bases on balls, the defensive miscue kind of uh, hurt them a little bit. But I think the big positives is I think you see a promising pitching staff, a staff that as a whole really only allowed a 179 batting average in the four games and got a lot of swing and miss pitches, 36 strikeouts and 28 innings. I thought that was very positive. Caitlin Felton, I think, uh, stepped up. 
you know, she had a tough uh, outing in relief against Georgia, was dominant after that. And she said she learned a lot from the Georgia game. She felt that she let Georgia dictate things, and she wasn't going to let that happen again. She was going to one that was going to dictate the terms as far as pitches. And, and, boy, it showed afterwards, and she won the American Conference Pitcher of the Week. So, you know, the Boise game was a wild one. As we've learned, mm-hmm. Boise State, if we're playing Boise State in a sport, there's going to expect the lightning delay and expect this game to end in the morning. So if you're making plans <laughs> to go to Boise, Idaho this fall for the football game, just prepare accordingly. Um, that, But they found a way to win. And remember, Jeff, we said last week on the preview, they may have to win a 9-8 type of game. Can they do it like they did last year? Well, they did on opening weekend. And then Saturday night, great pitching from Sarah Willis, DeVoe, and Felton to shut out Ohio State. So 3-1, and one, I think you take it. They're ranked still in the top 20 in all these polls. Uh, good positive start for a young group. And I think the depth with Chloe Evans, who's a superstar, I think, waiting to happen. All Big Ten performer. Yeah. She was fantastic. Uh, quick little note about her. Her and her family – went to the same high school as Todd Dagenet. How about that? No kidding. Yeah, huh. found that out. Found that out. It was the UP, so, she, huh? All right. Yeah. But she was tremendous in the cleanup spot because she's protecting uh, Cody and Doherty. And Kennedy Searcy had a big weekend, too. And then Jasmine Williams. Nick, you were there uh, with that incredible catch in the sixth inning at shortstop. Uh, amazing catch that basically saved the won the game for them, really preserving that one nothing win. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was – impressive i mean i was listening to uh actually the espn plus broadcast like on my headphones during the play so i was both fantastic guy per broadcast wasn't it oh my god well done sir thank you yeah, yeah so <laughs> i got that yelling in my ear, ear you know eric's going crazy i mean i i was amazed by it i mean just that entire game too it was like a just really great defensive performance and i think that was the highlight of the game yeah uh now, so eric you talk about UCF in the top 20 in a lot of these polls. They have a game against a team that's just outside the top 25 in Mizzou midweek on Wednesday at home. Yep. And then it's off to Clearwater, where you get Friday, receiving votes Michigan, Texas A&M. Saturday, number 16, Duke, number 9, Alabama. Sunday, number 23, Mississippi State. Um, stuff gets Sunday real night. in a hurry now, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, I mean, but that's how Coach Bobola having this. I mean, look. The Georgia, I mean, they started with Georgia, which you got to see, Jeff, in person. That might be one of the best offenses in the country. UCF held them to four hits. Uh, and then they hit like 10 home runs the rest of the weekend and crushing people. So they've already been pushed. Missouri's talented as well from the SEC. That'll be a tough midweek. Then you mentioned the teams, Michigan, and depending on which polls, because there's a million softball polls, Michigan's ranked in some. They're not ranked in others. That's a rematch from the regional final. A young team, Texas A&M, is off to a good start. Trisha Ford's the new head coach. Uh, Alabama always is Alabama. That's a big time television matchup. Duke's very good top 20 team. And then Mississippi state, the big prime time. It's not, they're going to learn a lot about this group. They have a deep pitching staff. UCF does. They have a lot of arms. They threw six pitchers this weekend and it's kind of a baseball style right now. Jeffrey, I think Felton, I think he's the number one. You got Sarah Willis, who they're trying to figure out how to use. She started the Georgia game, started the Ohio State game, went three innings, maybe a little bit of an opener type of style that you see in baseball from time to time. Uh, but then you also have uh, Grace Jewell, I think is more of a starter. But then you got De- Angelina DeVoe and Macy Miles, Les Miles' daughter, who's more of a reliever. You can go off speed. Whereas the, the other pitchers I mentioned are more hard throwers. So you a lot of variety there. But they will be challenged. I think we're going to see all of them this weekend against clear, in clear water. 
And I think this offense will have to win another high-scoring game because in Clearwater, as you play all these games, it's going to take its toll. And uh, I'll be curious to see the offense. I think the big question I have offensively, who's going to be the leadoff hitter? They've tried three different leadoff hitters, Elise Volpe, Jazz Williams, uh, you know, and then they also tried uh, one other one as well in the leadoff spot. So uh, we'll see how they look. But, look, it's a promising start. This is a talented team. It's going to take some time. But there's a lot of promise and a lot of eyeballs there. Two games over a 1,000 fans. Opening night, record crowd, for opening night crowd. And then, Nick, you were at the Ohio State game because you were sitting – you like to be in the stands with the people. You like to be – you're a people's guy. He's a man oh. of the people. Get, well, describe I- the atmosphere on Saturday night because I was blown away considering we're going head-to-head with men's basketball, 1,091 for Ohio State. And it, had, it was electric. Man, yeah, that was so much fun. I mean, I'm going to be honest. They might want to consider if, – if this team keeps having the success that they're having, they might want to consider expanding that stadium because there were so many people there. Like, people are sitting, you know, on stairs in the walkway, yep. you know – it was, it was like that at the Georgia game, which I was also on. I got stuck behind actually a bunch of uh, football players who were all crowded on the airs <laughs> up by the press box. And I'm just trying to like, you know, because I'm a short guy, I'm trying to like lean over. I'm like, did they hit it? I can't really see what's happening. But it was so fun. The crowd was so into it. Um, for me personally, like that was my first time ever like going to a softball game in the stands at least. Like I there, there was a couple times last year where I'd like watch from the outfield. But being there in that crowd, like it just makes it so, so much fun to I, I really can't ex- describe it it just if you haven't been to a game go to a game you will enjoy it i will yeah. say this i think the both the stands would have been packed for the boise state game had it not been before oh well, they had, right 100%. they had 800 they had 850 for the umass game it was a good crowd for the umass game on friday like at the, right. the first pitch was like 4 30 i agree with you that if the boise game would have started on time i think they would have had another crowd close to a sellout but the weather chased a lot of people off the capacity is only 600. Jeff, you're there. That's going to be a question going into the Big 12 where you have schools like, you know, Texas and Oklahoma for a year, but then you got Oklahoma State. I think these crowds are going to continue and go into the Big 12, and it's going to be interesting how they figure out there. That could be, I think that's going to be on the agenda there as far as they, you know, the agenda. They've added field turf uh, there this weekend, which helped out with the weather. Mm-hmm. They've got a new locker room, but I think expanding of the seats is definitely going to be a conversation uh, that's probably already been happening and it probably will continue. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think that's certainly the case. And, 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 you know, we talked about the shopping list, right? I know that that's, that's going to be high on, on Coach Balmalone's shopping list, along with a bunch of other things. And, and you know, man, I would love to be uh, – what I would give to be a fly on the wall in those meetings, you know, that, that each of the coaches with each of the programs has with, with uh, you know, Terry Mahajner and, and the UCF administration about, you know, hey, let's, what's the five- to ten-year plan? What's, you know – what what do we need and what do we want? And, uh, you know, it's it, it really amazes me. Like, this is such an exciting time right now, and you're seeing it right now with softball really having its moment. And, um, man, we saw it this week. It's, it's so gratifying to see the fans, like you guys have said, come to these games um, and really support the team. And, and it matters, and it shows – yeah, it, it really does show. We talk about it time and time again, Eric, right? But, it met, you know, that type of fan support, especially in the Olympic sports, matters tremendously to the performance of, uh, uh, of the team and the product on the field. I, de- yeah. I also want to add real quick, like, I think that, t- like, I don't know how it was last year, but I think that even the media is paying more attention to the team. Because when I went to the game on Georgia, the uh, 
this is a funny story. The press box was so crowded. Uh, I actually got kicked out of there because they couldn't fit <laughs> people. I mean, unfortunately, they, they, yes, yeah. yes. The press. Uh, this was just like the regionals. Yes, uh, Jeff knows he was at this press box this weekend. That's definitely on the list of people. If uh, we need to upgrade that as yeah, well, that might be on the shopping list too. Yeah. Big time but, shopping I mean, list. It, they didn't ask me to leave, but like you know, someone I won't say who came up to me is like, you know, it's pretty crowded in here, blah blah. And I'm like, all right, all right, I get it. In fairness, it is Beatty. Is our Beatty's a big deal? He's a Sentinel guy. He's our bite boy. Come yeah, on, yeah, he's got to get his. Yeah. I didn't say who it was. Hey, I didn't say who it was. <laughs> I just want to give Jason a shot. Hey man, no. hey man, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, who shows up to, who shows up to more games than Beatty? That would be us. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> just saying. Well, look, facility problem for problems aside, I think that this game, that this like opening weekend was a very great start for this softball program in the sense that I honestly think that with the way basketball has been go has been going, it I, it has completely stolen the spotlight right away. Uh, spotlight right away. I mean, not, you have three defensive highlights that could probably go under play, under a play of like the week candidates like three defensive highlights chloe evans of course emerges into i i would argue like we lost i know we lost denali shoppocker last year i think chloe evans basically kind of fills that place that she left behind mm-hmm. and now that and now as they kind of warm up to go into Clearwater, i think that this team is fair i would say fair i, I would say it looks about 85 90 reloaded to what it was last year at least from my perspective gotta control the, the the wildness and the pitching staff too many walks 18 walks Four hit by pitches. That's the concern. Got to improve that. I think they know that. So we'll see what happens with that. But hey, the great attendance, which is great, because Jeff, remember all the excuses? Well, you can't have two two sporting events going on at the same time. There, I mean, you guys were at basketball. They had a great crowd too, right? At the same yeah. Time. I don't think. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to figure out. You know, it was, it was it was a really good crowd for basketball. I think it was better than even what everyone was thinking. It was, right. it was so, almost seven thousand fans there. Space game, I think had something to do with that, but it was, you know, it, it was, it was a good tournament. It was a really good turnout. So I think that's, that's a big positive that you could support multiple teams at once. Cause let's be real. When you get to the big 12, that may happen more often with conflict. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So uh, that takes us over to uh, Bryson Turner. Now, Bryson, you were following women's golf over the weekend. We saw some record breaking performances, didn't we? Yes, yes. So here's a fun little story for you all. So when if you listen to last week's episode, we were talking about the women's golf round going on live at the time because the final round of the UCF challenge at Eagle Creek Golf Club over in Lake Nona was being played while we were recording. So as soon as we finished recording that episode, I got up and I got ready and I went over to Eagle Creek to watch the end of the round i met up i walked uh, up the back nine and i met up with anna nordforce the a campbell tra- uh, campbell graduate senior transfer and followed her for her final five holes she birdied four of them four of her final five she birdied and she needed it too because she won if i remember correctly she won by two strokes over if to get the individual victory at the ucf challenge to become the fifth UCF women's golfer to get an individual victory and she did so in historic fashion by not only breaking the single the, the single round record twice which we covered in last week's episode but after this final round she smashed 
the 54 hole record by finishing with a, a, a stroke total of 195, five strokes below the previous mark held by Tenrata Pitten at 200. The team, by the way, also broke a program record for the lowest under par finish. And I want to stress under par finish in program history at 27 under. Now, it wasn't the stroke finish because the team fin- the team finished with uh it, it, with the second lowest stroke finish in t- team stroke finish in the fi- in 54 holes at 837 you want to know what the the only one lower than that is the mercedes-benz intercollegiate or er, back in 20 fall 2022 so this women's golf team has shot the two lowest 54 hole scores in program history and now anna Nordfors has emerged to be a force to be reckoned with on this team that includes a top 20 player in the country in Tenrata Pitten via the golf stat rankings. The women's golf team will be back and will be back in action soon. They'll be back, they'll be playing in Melbourne for the Moon Golf Invitational from February 19th to the 21st. And so um yeah, I even though they're not going to be in the Orlando area now, I th- women's golf is definitely going to be a team to watch especially after that breakout performance by Anna Nordfors at Eagle. Yeah. Couple quick notes here. Uh, women's tennis uh, plays FIU at home. <clears throat> Excuse me, on Valentine's. They were recording this on Valentine's Day. They'll be playing that evening, uh, and then they play Friday at number nine Vanderbilt and Sunday at number twenty-two Tennessee. Men's tennis. Um, they're off to a, a, a rough start yet again over this past weekend. They lost at Illinois and at Nebraska. Um, and so they're off to a one and five start, but uh, they get to rebound against Miami and Coral Gables uh, on Friday the 17th. That that tough schedule, John Roddick is just really putting him through the ringer early in the season. Um, track and field, uh, uh, some notes from over the weekend. Uh, Isabella Richardson has emerged as a star in the distance running. She broke the, uh, you may recall, she broke the freshman 5k record in cross country in the fall and this past uh weekend she beat one of Anne marie blaney's records a 10 year old freshman record in the 3k she came in at nine minutes 39 39.99 seconds in the 3k uh which uh, is a new school record so congrats to uh isabella richardson who's emerging as ucf's newest um, distance running star as well. Uh, over to Nick, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that you know, we have two new, uh, well, not new, really, but uh, two spring football leagues firing up. The USFL, of course, starts in April, but the XFL is starting this week. Remember, may recall the XFL uh, you know, was reconstituted in 2020 and then scotched because of COVID. Things seem to be going well. We have a franchise in Orlando now, the Orlando Guardians, and uh, they have one UCF player, and there are three others who are spread throughout the league, Nick. Yep, that's correct. Uh, Before going into that, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Jordan Franks. Yes, he's on the practice squad, but he's earned himself a Super Bowl ring. Congratulations. That's right. Congrats to Jordan uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs this past week. Yeah, congratulations. But, yeah, so football's not done. We only got to wait a week. XFL's coming back. Uh, it's got a pretty famous owner, as we all know, you know, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So, who we got? We have Jordan McRae, an old lineman for the San Antonio Brahmas. 
Adrian Killens for the Arlington Renegades, although he originally started out with the uh, Houston Roughnecks. At, mm-hmm. Did we ever find out? Was he just traded or did he just get moved? Yeah, I just – I'm not really sure. Like, I, I just saw he was – he was just moved, but either way, he's going to play. And you know, so, and one other thing on Adrian Killens, Eagles, that's what you get for cutting AK. All right. Um, so anyway, Nick, carry yeah. on. Yeah, we have uh, Renault Hall, a cornerback, also for the Arlington Renegades, and you were already hyping him up. And this is a guy who our very own Kyle and Ash got to interview, uh, Terrence Plummer, yeah, for the Orlando Guardians. And I will for him. I want to talk about it a little bit because I'm going to say this: he is a guy who right now is being promoted as one of the faces of the Guardians franchise. I don't know, you know, and I think he will be for the rest of the season. Whether that's due to his play or not, who knows. But they are. I think they are smart for pushing him because he is the only UCF guy on that roster. He's got connections. And, like, this past weekend, for example, they had, like, a Pick Your Seat event, a Camping World slash a little meet and greet where they flew down a couple coaches and three players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was one of them. And for the record, like, these teams are going to – are housed – practice all their games up in Arlington and then they'll just come down to Orlando for the game. So they had to like choose some people to fly down here and they picked him to be one of them. And later in the day, uh, Bryce and you were at the game. They had them go to the uh, UCF basketball game to try to connect with community. He's one of the guys they're going to be pushing to do that. And I believe that's a smart choice. Yeah. A hundred percent on board. I, and, and their schedule for the, um, Guardians, they start actually on the road at Houston. Um, it's coming Saturday, 8.30 p.m. ESPN. ESPN and FX. That game is being televised. The San Antonio Brahmas game, uh, that's that's their home opener. They will be playing at Camping World Stadium, like Nick said, 4 p.m. February, uh, Sunday, February 26th. And that game will also be televised on ESPN. So if you can't get down to Camping World, check it out. You know, I, I, and, and yet, like I said, here's another opportunity for – you know, former UCF guys to have a job in, in, in pro football and hopefully develop themselves, maybe get to the NFL at some point. You just never know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been vocal about, you know, my, uh, my support of, of leagues like the XFL and the USFL. And, and I hope that they can, uh, that they can succeed um, and provide more opportunities for us to watch, you know, former UCF players and play the game that they love. You know, we see, you know, we have, Developmental leagues in the NBA. We have develop, obviously have developmental leagues in baseball, and those who helped out a lot of UCF players um, in the past. And here's hoping at, at soccer too, right? USL, Eric. Um, and so my hope is that that works out for the NFL as well. I think that's it for what we've got for today, right? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Busy. Hey, it was a busy show. It's a busy show. Lots of sports. I know. Well, on. we're you know it's it's the spring sports equinox, and you can follow it. Uh, you can follow us, rather, throughout it on uh, at UCF Banner underscore SBN. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. we got plenty of content uh, that we've been coming up with on the YouTube channel. Big, huge thanks to Bryson, to, uh, to Kyle, to Eric, Nick, all of you guys for, for pulling that together and help us out on YouTube. Uh, you can follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo. It's Bryson Turner, Nick Porcelli, and the number two. Also, Kyle is at the SOTG. Kyle is at the Super Bowl at the game, covering stuff for you know for his other kid. What a time, man! What a man. I, I know, man. I mean, I, I'm so jealous. He, he got the opportunity to do that, and he was he was talking to he was talking to he talked had a great interview with Eric Bieniemy, by the way. That was up uh, that he put up on his on his Twitter feed. But definitely recommend you take a look at that. Um, and of course, sure, he'll uh, be out there to the XFL during the season. So. Yep. 
Should yep. be fun. Bryson and Nick will be doing uh, baseball. Nick will be doing a little softball. I'll be doing obviously a little softball. I'll be in Clearwater this weekend. So we got we're we're all over. We're spread out. We'll be everywhere. Yeah, you're yeah. You're, you're yeah you're gonna be heading out there for that crazy tournament. You gonna be calling the games, Eric? No, no, they got the national crew there, uh, but uh, I'll be or hummer, hovering around. By the way, that UCF Mississippi State game Sunday night, ESPN two first ever nationally televised linear game primetime for softball. So go support, go watch them, uh, watch that game. Uh, first regular season football. national TV. regular it's season national primetime postseason prime was last time. year, right in mm-hmm. primetime. I can't wait for that, man. That's going to be fun. Be good. All right. We thank you so much for listening. Of course, uh, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcast. We are available on Apple and Android devices. Uh, and don't forget to reach out to us, of course, UCF Banner at underscore SPM on Twitter, also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this busy weekend of UCF sports. Baseball about to get underway. Enjoy it, folks. <laughs>